0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to another RobCast. Uh, This one, I'm telling you, Kristen Bell is in the house.
1: In my house.
0: Yeah, Kristen (laughs) Bell is in her house. So uh, we are set up at the kitchen table. And by the way, all of you people everywhere who wherever I go say to me, the RobCast is fine, but I want to hear more from Kristen. Here you go. Here she is at the table, ready to do this. Um, but first, uh, I made ginger shots uh, a half a lemon, a large chunk of ginger, ice, water, and a touch of stevia to negate the punch in the face factor. Here we go. Right. Did you hear the clinking of glasses? Let's do it once more. Here we go. <laughs> I think there's something wrong with that ginger.
1: Oof.
0: <laughs> Oof. Okay. Uh, but, oh, um
1: but that's how also, you start the magic.
0: That's how you, that is how you start the magic. Uh, also, w- uh one note, the introduction to Joy Tour is up and rolling and um the next cities I'm headed to are uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. I've never been. Um and then Kansas City and then Tulsa and Oklahoma City coming your way. So, um this tour Oh, my word. I don't even know what to say. Well, we'll, I'll see all of you soon. And, uh, I have I some
1: even... good memories in Kansas city when you were on oh, tour yeah, there yeah, before yeah. when yeah. the boys We've were been young. There
0: several times when the boys were young.
1: Yeah. I remember going to this really great water park there.
0: <laughs> that's what we would do. Wake up. Well, it was the Find something for the boys to do. Yeah. Stay cool. Show. Yeah. So, um, th- that's just obviously a thrill But speaking of thrills, we're at the kitchen table with Kristen Bell, the house, kids are at school, work, away at college, here we are, and uh, I'm trying to think how to frame this because in some ways I'm going to interview you, but this is, what we're going to talk about are things that I've heard you say over the past couple of years. Um, So it's an interview, but it's a conversation, but it's you just doing your thing, You know what I mean? I should say that up front. I'm going to ask you questions where I know the answer. But then you're going to add all sorts of extra sauce to it. Right. And surprise me. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So how should I set this up? What's the best way to go about this? Because uh, people will see from the name of the podcast that it's about
1: anxiety. Right. Well, I think about... I mean, I think this. a lot of these ideas have been brewing for years. But about six months ago... I started to have some really uh, strong direction yeah. about wh- how I was going to organize these ideas. And um, these ideas all center around the topic of, of anxiety. And the reason for that is because anxiety has been my friend for my whole life. And I'll explain what I mean by that later. Yeah, yeah. But um, anxiety has just been part of my life for ever since I can remember. And um, I've learned over the years certain tools, certain practices that have really helped. And I started to think about, like, what if I could compile, like, a toolbox of all the things that I have found um, in my research and study of psychology, um, in my my spiritual pursuits, my practices, um, what I've—I don't know what I've grown to believe about who I am and the mm-hmm. nature of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought, what if I put all of this in one place and really explored? Um, what do you? What do you do with your anxiety? In fact, that's the name that came to me. Um,
0: I remember that when you said, I know what to call this thing I'm working on.
1: Right. That's when it got really kind of concrete, like, oh, I have all these ideas about anxiety. Oh, I know what this is going to be called. It's going to be called, What Do I Do With My Anxiety?
0: Ah, uh, such a good, such a good title. Um, l- let me, let's right- Okay. Well,
1: one of the reasons why that really um, appealed to me, that idea of like asking the question, is because it's not just about getting rid of your anxiety, which people who suffer from anxiety, of course, you just want, okay, what do I have to do to get rid of it? Um, but sometimes what happens is when we push against something and just try to, like, um, either, either, like, um, question it and have, like, really let it get you down, uh-huh. um, or just kind of band-aid it up, then we miss all the gifts that it has to show us if we band-aid it up. But also if we resist it, a lot of times it sends us down this downward spiral.
0: It comes back even stronger. Well. It creates like a negative loop.
1: I feel like it creates all this like negativity on its spiral downward. Like for me, the question that I repeated over and over in my head is, what is wrong with me? Mm Mm-hmm. What is wrong with me? I don't seem to be able to handle this or this or this. And um, it just sent me down kind of a spiral of shame, which yeah. just gets you farther underground. Right.
0: Uh, let me ask you a question about, I've asked you before, like, how would you define anxiety? And I was struck the other day when we were talking about this episode, how you were like, well, there's like a, tech, there's like a technical definition, but then you didn't even, you kind of sort of brushed it off. Like, that's not important.
1: Right. I mean, in the field of psychology, they've had to define it so that they can diagnose it. And so there are um, a list of symptoms like restlessness and um, inability to sleep. And um, now I'm not I'm not thinking yeah, of so them right like now, long, but there's a whole I remember list you of saying
0: there's a cluster of symptoms. Yeah, a cluster was the of symptoms. Like but the way that
1: I like to think about it is uh, what is the opposite of anxiety? And to me, the opposite of anxiety is um, calm, centered contentment. And yeah. um, so, if you think about that place that we've all experienced, um, when we veer out of that, when we start to spin, when we start to, um, it's it's almost to me, it almost feels like you like you have this center that you live from, and when anxiety kicks in, it's like you're living outside of yourself. Oh, that's um, so good. I've al- it also came to me recently uh, that my mind, I feel like the anxiety is kind of created and maintained by my mind, and it's like my mind gets so busy trying to protect my heart. And I feel like our heart is where we actually live from yeah um it's like it, it feels like that's like the the deepest center of who we are and our minds get involved like oh i got to keep you safe i got to keep you safe and a lot of times our minds are necessary for keeping us safe but it's just when it spirals out of control that um anxiety really yeah. becomes a problem uh
0: it reminds me of the hebrew word shalom um And shalom has that sense of wholeness, peace, rest, everything in its right place. It's no revving, no anxiety. Um, I've noticed when you talk about anxiety, everybody perks up. Like the number of times people have been asking you questions about anxiety because you started talking about it and it's so compelling. It's fascinating to me. Like we're out to dinner or people over at the house and you start talking about anxiety. It's like everybody goes, oh, please keep going. Yeah. Please keep talking. Um, It feels... I don't know. The epidemic isn't the word, but it feels like it's in the air or in the water supply or something.
1: Yeah, there's a whole... Anxiety exists on... There's a a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it goes everywhere from, like, you know, nervousness to panic attacks. And depending on where your anxiety is in, in the moment, um, it it can be very debilitating. Like, like I know from experience, I had a season where I was having panic attacks. Um, I guess it doesn't matter why, but I had a season where I was experiencing panic attacks and I remember them being so unbearable that like, I, I I, literally had the feeling, I don't know if life is worth living, if this is how it's always mm-hmm. going to be. It was so unbearable.
0: Mm-hmm. Even
1: when I wasn't having a panic attack, I was afraid that another one was going to come on. And it was this feeling of, like, uh, I was going to drown. I remember that very specifically, like a, a suffocating, drowning feeling. And so... um, Anywhere you are along there, but especially in those more um, severe kind of panic attack states, like it robs your life from you. Um, tell me what you asked again, because uh, I was going somewhere and then I lost. Well, my train, I actually I wanted
0: to ask you about. I've noticed when you start telling. I mean, you just mentioned it a few minutes ago, um, that anxiety has like been with you from way back. Um right. notice when you describe your experience oh, of the world, yeah. how many people are like, oh my word, that's me.
1: Right. Um, can you say something? Well, some I r- I guess I, w- I wanted to start with there is a spectrum. Yeah, no, okay. And um I do think that I do think there's a general kind of awakening desire that people really do want to live from that calm centered place. Absolutely. And um it's so easy in our world that moves really fast to get caught up in the fast pace, which then adds to the anxiety. Um, so I do think there's a, a general desire and observation that things have really sped up and unless you're very intentional, you just kind of get caught up in that.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What a, um, Tell me, you said your story Um, you've talked about like your, uh, senses, like sort of the knobs being turned up. Um, I found that that's for me been incredibly illuminating.
1: Right. I say that my intensity knob just got turned up and, um, from way back. Oh, from, yeah. I think I've always been that way. And, um, there's a study, a research study that I came across that really helped me understand, oh, okay. It's not, there's something wrong with me. I actually was wired this way. And so now, instead of asking that question, then the question becomes, okay, so if I'm wired this way, what gifts come out of being this way? And the way that this intensity knob shows up in my life, (laughs) uh, in social situations, um, they can be um, overwhelming, draining. I say sometimes after something really intense, um, like a like a big wedding where we're out late, or just just a situation where I'm meeting a lot of new people and having a lot. Of, there's just a lot going on. I call it a social hangover. <laughs> <laughs> I often I often know if I'm going to do that kind of thing, which I do enjoy doing, I just know what it's going to cost me on the on the other side, mm-hmm. which means. Probably for the next 24 hours, I'm going to feel a little drained and, and off and need to give myself some space to recover. Um, so y- y- you can help me on this one. You can tell me true or false on this. Um, I'm very jumpy. <laughs>
0: Are you going to talk about traffic? Tense. Tell me you're going to talk about traffic. <laughs> um.
1: Yeah, the littlest thing in traffic. The slightest
0: tap of the brakes.
1: (laughs) Makes me jump.
0: Yes, that's true.
1: Yeah. Um, (laughs) True or false, um, I'm a really good sleeper.
0: Uh, You're terrible. (laughs)
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Let's just be honest about it. Terrible. Well, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, we all have our gifts. Um, So all of these things are... I realized after I came across, okay, I'm going to just tell you about this study yeah, because yeah, this really helped me understand. Um, in 1989, there was a researcher named Kagan who did um, a landmark study looking at temperament. And what he did is he took 500 four-month-old infants and he was looking at emotional reactivity. And so he would take the infant and expose them to new stimulus like a big balloon or a very colorful mobile or a a somewhat loud sound, and then he would mark how much of a reaction they had. And he found that 20% had an intense reaction, 40% had almost no reaction, they were just quiet, they enjoyed it and looked at it, Um, and then 40% had a mixed reaction. And then he followed these infants through childhood and into... um, I know he followed them into childhood. I believe he also followed them into adulthood. And um, he found that the highly reactive infants had developed into introverts. And um, then those who were had less reaction were more of the extroverts. Um, the introverted group also was more inhibited, shy, and had higher anxiety. And his theory was that like our nervous systems have kind of a built-in threshold for stimulation. So there is a thing, a mm-hmm. sensitive nervous system. Um, people who have these just take in. It's a, a, that's why I say my intensity knob is turned all the way up. I just feel like I take in yeah. so much more, which then means I have to monitor where I am and how much yeah. I'm taking in.
0: And it's fascinating to me. I mean, obviously we'll get into this later, but you pick up, you are overwhelmed. At, like we go in, like we go to a party, and it's like so much louder and overwhelming for you. But then when we're driving home, you're like you'll be like, Oh my word, we stayed I stayed too long. I'm exhausted. But you'll also tell me ten things that you observed at the party that I missed.
1: Oh, only ten? <laughs>
0: That look in your eyes when I was saying that, I was like, she has something she's ready to say. As soon as I paused, (laughs) I did not see that coming. (laughs) But this is what's interesting to me. In some ways, as you and I both came to understand this about you at some level, is you, the frequencies were more piercing for you, more annoying, more uh, debilitating sometimes, but also within that was all this information and truth and knowledge right. and perception and intake that you're picky. I, I mean, think about the times when you've been like, oh, yeah, that couple, he's furious. She's a wreck. They won't make it six months. And I'll be like, them? Oh, no, they're doing great. And then six months later, I don't know,
1: it's know like, if I ever made predictions about whether oh, people would make my it.
0: word, but- <laughs> I have seen you, well, okay, that might be, no, I have seen you observe people and say, this is what's really going on with them. Yeah. And I was like, No, are you kidding me? There like, and then sure enough, f- four months later, a year later, you're like, oh yeah, she yeah. was actually totally picked up on a whole world just below the surface. The rest of us completely missed.
1: Yeah. And and part of me joking about only ten is <laughs> is my change of perspective. Because yeah, I like this. for so long like this. it was what's wrong with me? Yeah. Why can't I do what all these other people seem to be able to Yeah be able to do just fine. And so it's been a journey of changing that perspective and valuing how I do operate in the world.
0: And, and hopefully I've no, tried to keep up at some level.
1: No, you've been very understanding. No, but and I,
0: but learning like, Oh, like previously I would have been like, come on, let's go. What's the problem. And now I'm like, Oh
1: yeah. Which is, which is actually quite, something. yeah, it's, Humorous, sometimes to me, that the, the situations that I have been put in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but maybe it was just so I could learn these lessons faster.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. We'll have to come back to some of that. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, so in addition, uh, as I came across some of this information, it was very freeing because I was like, "Oh, like there's there's like a genetic component to this about how we're wired," and um situations that cause me anxiety don't cause other people anxiety and so there it was really helpful to have that level of acceptance um yeah and realize like i said before to kind of break that downward spiral yeah of pushing through and then wondering what's wrong with me
0: paying the cost later
1: yeah, yeah and then i had a history for a long time of getting sick a lot like my my immune system just wasn't just wasn't up to speed, but I think it's because of that. Like, well, I'm gonna push through. I'm just gonna make myself do these things, um, and it's really you're really acting against your body. Yeah, like every like every signal my body was saying, "That's enough. That's enough. It's time to take a break." And I've even learned. Like sometimes my I, I've I've gotten more in tune with what my body is saying to me, and sometimes all I need is a 20-minute like breathing break, like yeah. by myself, yeah, quiet, even like a meditation. It, sometimes I'm I feel myself getting off kilter or spinning, and just that 20-minute thing will bring me back.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating how many times our bodies know the truth before our brains do, our bodies are telling us the truth, they're shouting the truth, they're yelling the truth, because we haven't gotten it yet, and we override it like, oh, be quiet. <laughs> and we just well, push we through, have, and then wonder why we pay on the other side. We have some
1: yeah. standard that we feel like we're supposed to live up to. Right. Like
0: Which is rubbish.
1: Whether it's success, or productivity, or how many friends you're supposed to have, or, or endurance, how many kids you're supposed to have, like any of... Th- any of those things, it's like, where did this come from? Or
0: the, the, those accolades, like, oh, man, they just push through. They can just go all day. No one goes at it like they do. And you're like, what are they? Maybe. Some people do have just extraordinary constitutions and energy. Right. But also, what are they overriding?
1: Well, I used to be really jealous of people who only had to sleep four hours. You'd hear, you know, yeah, every sure. once in a while you'd meet somebody like that, and mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, just think of the things I could get done if I only had to sleep four hours. <laughs> But then it shifted for me. And now I think, I love to sleep. It feels great. (laughs) Like, I'm so sad for them that they're missing out on this.
0: Isn't that funny? Also, the impulse, oh, if I could only sleep, if I only needed a couple hours of sleep, the the modern Western 21st century impulse is, if I only need a couple hours of sleep, think of what I could get done. Production being the first thing you do, not think of what else I could enjoy. Right. Even that impulse You're, reflects a particular culture and time and place. Um, You're right.
1: You, so, so I was just oh, going to mention a couple other um, things that researchers have found that helps um, the uh, the um, genetic case. So they found that people in the same situation show different levels of anxiety, and this these levels in, of anxiety remain consistent over time. So that was just a finding that we are wired. We're prone. Different people are more prone to anxiety than so, others. So two people sitting side okay. by
0: side, uh, an ambulance goes by, a loud noise, a whatever. These two people, literally their bodies, one will pick up a whole world of stimulation, and and uh, and the other one it won't won't won't. Right. And that that stays true, meaning a year later you could test them, or five years later, right? And that there are fundamental wiring, right? So of- that
1: leads them to believe, like, oh, there are actual. Yeah. This isn't a scientific term, but wiring mm-hmm. <laughs> um, differences. Um, they also found uh, the amygdala is a part in the brain that. Um, it regulates intense emotions like fear. Um, and they found that people have very different amygdala responses. So um, they showed people the, uh, an unfamiliar face and then measured the response. And some people had higher fear, um, intense emotion responses to something unfamiliar than others. Oh, fascinating. Um And this led them to look for genes that regulate neurotransmitters and found that there are genetic differences that cause some people to have increased hormone responses to situations than others. So all of this to say is um, some people's bodies just um, experience more anxieties than others.
0: Oh, I think about somebody who's listening right now. They're doing dishes or they're out for a jog or they're driving in their car, and no one's ever told them, yeah, this is okay. This is how you're wired. Yeah. It's fine.
1: Yeah. And this this was very helpful to me.
0: If somebody would have told you that, think about that 10, 20, 30 years ago. Like just, oh, by the way, there are studies. Some people, like the knobs are turned up higher.
1: Yeah. Because then you're, you're at a very different place. Yeah. Then you're like, okay, I can accept this. Now, how am I going to live with it? Yeah. How am I going to manage it? How am I going to... Um, what goodness let is it hiding shape in me. this? Right. What are the gifts in this?
0: Okay, let's go back to that question. Uh, I think you touched on it cr- briefly earlier um, about what's wrong with me being the driving question you had for so long.
1: Yes. Was that, that, a, was that a question? Well, you were just talking about... <laughs> <laughs> is there a question mark at the end of that? I had a question
0: about, about of your question. <laughs> um, when would you... Let's go back. When do you feel like it started to shift uh, from what is wrong with me to something else? Was that like a period of time? Do you have any specific memories of like, oh, that's not the right... Do you have a moment of like, oh, that's not the right question?
1: I think it was more of like a gradual awakening. Yeah. I mean, definitely when I came across this research, there was like a... It was like... A big exhale. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. But um, I think I've been collecting breathing tools and, I mean, things like yoga. When I discovered yoga, that really helped. There were certain things along the way that that helped.
0: Um, um, I'm also fascinated in watching you over the past couple of years how this shift brought about, I remember you saying like, I've been trying all of these things to deal with anxiety. I'm, uh, what do I do? Like when you came up with the title, what do I do with my anxiety? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you saying what I'm doing with my anxiety is setting out to understand anxiety, to try everything out there to reduce it, to learn, to listen to it, to think differently about it. Uh,
1: well, I think the the bigger thing is I started to see I started to see how anxiety was an important part of my spiritual journey and how working with it and through it had led me to all sorts of truth and ultimately growth and change. I realized that it was like the motivating force that, that made me keep digging deeper. Like, it made me keep examining and um, really asking questions like, what is this about? And am I living true to myself? So it was almost like the thing in my life that wouldn't let me just skim the surface. It was like this thing that kept appearing that made me pay attention. It was almost like my, like you said, my body had this wisdom. I was like, I'm not going to let you get, I'm not going to let you get too far off track because I'm going to keep calling you back. I'm going to keep asking you to listen. And so in that practice of like coming back and listening, I just started to notice how anxiety became, it, it became a really important part of my, spiritual growth and transformation
0: now one of the things i've noticed in in watching you talk to people about anxiety is there are a couple of big ideas that you keep returning to that just it's like brand new territory for people and specifically there's this there's this one big idea about the relationship between anxiety and control that I've noticed a number of people, they've just never thought about it that way. And it's so empowering and liberating. So there, I'm great setting you up.
1: Great. Well, one of the things I've come across is that you have way more control than you realize. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Um, when you understand how your autonomic nervous system works, you then can have control over what state you're in and I'm gonna talk about the sympathetic state and the parasympathetic state and it may sound a little bit like a science class but well, I always
0: get those confused by the way I to know. this day
1: I tried giving them nicknames and I just couldn't do it, um, it just nothing felt right <laughs> so I'm going to explain them very well so hopefully um, you can tell the difference but I'm just saying what I'm discussing is in all eighth grade science books um, but for me, the power in this is that once you understand it, you have control over whether you're in the fight or flight state, which is the sympathetic state or the parasympathetic state, which is the rest, digest and heal state. And the rest, digest, heal state is also that state that I called the non-anxious state or the calm centered, content state. So um, oftentimes people will label the sympathetic state as stress because um, it's designed to help our bodies deal with any kind of danger, immediate danger or perceived danger. And what I mean by that is um, this state is activated when we feel threatened um and it could be like driving in traffic and having somebody cut you off and you have to slam on the brakes and you feel like you almost hit something um your body is activated for action um but this also happens when you're laying in bed at night worrying about the next day so it doesn't matter if it's actually happening in front of you or if it's happening in your mind um This is what activates that fight-or-flight system. And it's not like an on-off thing. It's more like a scale. So obviously, if if your life is being threatened by a bear in the woods, um, you're going to have a much bigger um, activation than worrying about how you're going to pay your bills but both of those do put you in this state. And once I explain what this state is for, then it will help you understand why it's not helpful to stay in that state. So let's talk let's talk about sympathetic or fight or flight first. And this, this has been designed for our survival. It's not a bad state. It's- um,
0: It's kept you alive, it's absolutely necessary. Right, it's, it's- absolutely
1: necessary. Um, And and what I'll get to later is it's not like we're trying to eliminate the state. We're just trying to find a balance.
0: We're trying to move between them in a sustainable, healthy way, as opposed to just shut off or try to deny this very necessary function.
1: Right. So so we need our fight-or-flight state for emergencies. And and so what your body does in this state is... um, Every organ in your body is either activated or suppressed based on the needs of the moment. And the need in this emergency state is for you to run, jump, or swim away from danger. (laughs) I
0: love that, by the way.
1: So your your heart rate increases. (laughs) Yeah. Your breathing rate increases. um, All of the... A large portion of the blood from your body goes to your muscles so that your muscles are at full capacity... Um, but the things that are being suppressed are things that you wouldn't need in an emergency state, like digesting your food, um, your immune system. Um, one that I find interesting is, um, your, uh, one of your glands that produces tears and saliva is suppressed and so that's why when you're really nervous you might have a dry mouth. It's also why when you're really in a dangerous situation, you will you won't be crying. You'll you'll never see somebody crying when they're actually in that kind of emergency it's afterwards. state. It's afterwards when they feel safe.
0: Yeah. So your body makes this split second decision to put all its resources in a couple of very specific functions which means it's pulling its energy and resources and attention from all of these other things. right? And And that's literally affecting your organs.
1: Right. And what can easily happen is that we can stay in this activated emergency state all day long. Um, If we're never in a place where we feel um, safe, where we bring our breathing down, where we intentionally... um, move into a different state
0: oh see this is this is so huge because you because you mapped sort of everything from there's a bear in the woods to laying in awake in the middle of the night with like a low level of dread about your finances right you could be stressed about some bills and that's affecting your liver yes at some level yes and, oh and then that see that means that like the the awkward interactions with a coworker the the Right. Well, disturbing relationship with certain family members. And if members. you repeat
1: those conversations in your head and you're like, oh, I wish I had said this or I can't believe they said that. Or if you have a conversation with a friend about, I can't believe what so-and-so said. Like all of that is keeping you in that activated state.
0: Which is directly affecting like your immune system. Yes. How, your digestion. Uh, see, that's like, that's huge.
1: Yeah, and our bodies are designed to counterbalance that with this other state, the parasympathetic state, that's the rest, digest, and heal state. Oh, and I don't think I mentioned that the sympathetic state, the emergency state, is activated instantly. It's, it's, it's almost out of our conscious control. We somehow perceive something's dangerous, we're in it. Um, but the parasympathetic state is more like a dimmer switch The other is like you switch it on. The parasympathetic is like a dimmer switch. We move into it gradually. And we move into it when we feel safe and out of danger.
0: Yeah, you immediately go into the one and you fade gradually. You gradually move. Ah, that's huge.
1: But what's interesting is that there are all sorts of ways that researchers have found that you can move into that state. So... I think what's really key is if you know what it feels like to be in the fight or flight emergency state, and you know what it feels like to be in the parasympathetic rest, digest, heal state, then you have control. You have so much more control over moving into the parasympathetic state. You can put yourself in situations. You can do certain practices. Um... And I know for me, a lot of times my anxiety does come from just being in that hyper alert, activated, danger, danger, danger state. And for me, it's like a, a conscious decision of now I'm moving in to this other place. And you feel very different in each place. And once you have once you can figure out how you feel in each, each place, and then you start playing around with different ways of getting into the parasympathetic state, that's when you really start to have control over that part of anxiety. I mean, it goes—it's much bigger than anxiety. I mean, it's—it's it's our immune system, it's our mental health, it's our—it's um, our creativity, yeah. it's um, satisfying friendships, relationships, yeah. like we're not going to have great conversations when we're stuck in danger, danger, danger mode.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Um, it's just a whole different kind of life when you can live from that calm centered state.
0: So are you going to show us uh, a bit from the research?
1: Yeah, I'd love to talk about a couple ways um, to get into the parasympathetic state and I've I've just picked a few because the list is long, and if you're interested, you can Google how to get into the parasympathetic state. That's um, a thing
0: now. That's a thing. I know how to get into the parasympathetic state.
1: And and it's amazing how much research has been done on this, um, and the way that they can tell what state you're in is they measure your heart rate variability. They call it HRV. Um, so so the first one is music that's 70 beats per minute (laughs) will very quickly put you in the parasympathetic state. And that's the example they gave is like Bach and Mozart.
0: Um, That's, I mean, obviously this is, um, this is happening on all, all fronts sort of across the world we live in, but Hey, that music's really relaxing. Yes, because it's, we actually have data and evidence that it's, the particular BPMs
1: well, I your love body it when, likes. I love it when science finds like weird stuff. Yeah. So they've found that when you listen to music that's 70 beats per minute, your heart actually syncs up to it. <laughs> I love it when they find weird stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. I also love...
1: Mystical stuff, I should well, say.
0: Well, I also just love rhythm, rhythms as an elemental property of the universe. So you have the rhythms of the planets around each other. Right. You the have the rhythms seasons. of the seasons, obviously the tides and the ocean, um, breathing, that that rhythm. I mean, no wonder we love music. Music is actually just another example of something that's true. Um, rhythms are central to the whole thing. I mean, that's right. just... Well,
1: and I would even say what I'm talking about here, these two states, there's a rhythm like we're made yeah. we're made to encounter stress that's how we grow that's that's what a lot of times challenges are what make life yeah. Yeah. interesting
0: you're like i feel so alive because of whatever right. it is you just right if we had through. no
1: stress we
0: yeah you
1: know we, life would be kind of boring yeah so we're made we're made to handle stress but then it's like a sine wave then we need to come back down and rest, yeah. digest, and heal from that. And then we can encounter another stress, and then we come back down and we rest, digest, and heal. And yeah. if we can maintain that rhythm, then we we can Yeah, which we is have interesting, that optimal balance of yin and yang.
0: Which is interesting personally and culturally. I realize one of the reasons why I never stop talking about Sabbath is the particular culture we find ourselves in, 21st century Western civilization, in many ways... Ha- has lost some of its primal connections with the soil, with the earth, with these rhythms. And then no wonder people fall into despair and a number of things. Well,
1: and going back to the beginning part of our conversation, we somehow have these views that we have to keep pushing. Yeah, Um right. Instead of push, then relax, push, then relax, push, yeah, then yeah. relax.
0: Yeah, find the groove, stay in the groove. Yeah. Okay, so music. What else?
1: Um, The next one is uh, they did a study on prayer, specifically people praying the rosary, which is a repetitive kind of mantra prayer.
0: It has a tactile dimension to it, beads, fingers, touch.
1: Right, which I think is very similar to what happens in meditation is we have all these thoughts floating around the monkey mind and um, sometimes if we can give our mind a task... Like, I'm going to say this over and over again. Um, I think sometimes singing can be that for people also. Anytime you give the mind something um, repetitive to do, that is, I mean, it has to be um, repeating something positive. I mean, I (laughs) I was just thinking about how often we can get in those negative, repetitive patterns, and that doesn't, Quiet things are right, right, right. parasympathetic at all, but um, any kind of prayer that comes from like gratitude or uh, the idea of abundance, um, goodness.
0: <laughs> it's so funny that they're like these rituals that are thousands of years old, and now we have once again the research and data to go, Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, there's actually there's a reason
0: why that's helped people,
1: yeah, it actually uh, puts you in a certain physiological state, yeah,
0: that's great, okay,
1: um. Let's see, the the very interest, The interesting thing about breathing is that it's one of the functions that is controlled by your autonomic nervous system, meaning that when you're in the emergency state, your breathing speeds up. When you're in the calm-centered state, your breathing slows down. But even when you find yourself in the emergency state, you can control your breathing. So like if you're in an emergency state, but you consciously do slow controlled breathing that would happen like you were in the parasympathetic state your body automatically slides into that parasympathetic state that's why i think there's so much emphasis on breathing in like a yoga class or i feel like i hear a lot about breathing because it is it is one of those tools that is just it's just right here and we can use it anytime
0: but it also makes it strange then. It almost straddles two dimensions of your body because it has like a subconscious dimension to right. it in which you, you just keep breathing whether you're thinking about it or not. Right. And yet you can at any moment become conscious of it and affect it. Because I can't really do much about my liver.
1: Exactly. My pancreas
0: is sort of out of my control at some level.
1: Or you can't control your heart rate.
0: But there is this thing that just goes on doing its thing whether I'm paying attention or not. But then I can also... Control it. Instantly control it. which yeah. makes Which makes breath... A, a unique bridge within the right. makeup of a person. What a, what a strange phenomenon.
1: Right. Um, and that also reminds me, um, one of the other ones that instantly puts you into the parasympathetic state is any time you can relax your muscles. So a warm bath, stretching. Yeah. Um, because in the emergency state, you get tense. Um, and so... If you relax your muscles, it sends your body the message, "Okay, danger's over. We yeah. can move into this other state."
0: Everybody now. can calm down now.
1: Um, a couple strange ones, just to <laughs> illustrate, like yes. you can you can find your own here. <laughs> like they've done research on a lot of them, but I would say anything that makes you feel calm, centered, and happy is likely moving you into that state. Um, so one of the weird ones is laying on your right side. <laughs> <laughs> just that favorite right side, um, um, <laughs> gargling, singing loudly.
0: Wait, gargling.
1: Yeah, these um, these systems are controlled by the vagus nerve, which runs from the back of your brain to every organ in your body. Um, but there's a place right back there at the back of your throat where if you gargle or, or sing or like, you know, that vibrating, it activates the vagus nerve, which then puts you in the parasympathetic state.
0: Gargling and singing.
1: Right, which are two different things. Yeah. You don't have to do them at the same time.
0: Well, <laughs> we'll leave that to you. Fascinating. And then um, I remember there's another one that you've talked about. That right, I love.
1: this is Rob's favorite. <laughs> Cold water.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. A central part of my life. Cold water so... There's literally data on this.
1: There is data. Um, (laughs) Of course. They found that diving into cold water can lower your heart rate between 10 and 25%, which is really significant. It's some sort of diving reflex that we have.
0: Well, I mean, I could talk about this all day. Obviously, going surfing in the morning is, like, for me, central to life. But then I get in, a, in the pool every day.
1: Right. Sometimes literally pool every day. get out of
0: the ocean and then come home and get in the pool. And then I found myself uh, showering in the backyard in my swim trunks with a garden hose. And then I asked my father-in-law, your father, hey, I would love like a shower. And so he was like, oh, we could build this and this. I was like, no, like the most primitive shower ever so he just attached a pipe with like a shower head to the side of the back house and it's funny to me because that's like now like that's how a day begins and then you later are like oh yeah yeah there's all sorts of evidence well one
1: of the other things the research (laughs) says is that a regular practice of cold water actually develops your ability to move into the parasympathetic more quickly
0: need be say more.
1: I know. And, and you, and you would say that the cold water has really changed you.
0: Oh, and it's so interesting. Also how you going back again, once again, to the, the wisdom that's present in all of us, just like for me, like this just makes life so much better.
1: Right. You intuitively knew, right, right. right. I need to start the day with, with a <laughs> yeah. plunge in cold water.
0: Yeah. A couple hours in the ocean, maybe followed by a,
1: But even if there weren't the ocean.
0: I'd still be like, give me some water. Cold. Give me some water, yeah. Yeah, cold water.
1: Yeah, because I have no desire to jump in cold water. Or this thing
0: has happened multiple times when you and I were somewhere. Anytime when you're a body of water, I'm like, don't you just want to jump in that? And over the years, you've been like, no.
1: (laughs) Especially if it's cold.
0: I remember when we first got together, we'd be out near the ocean in the winter in our early 20s, and I would have like a swimsuit in the back of my truck. Be like, I'm just gonna have to get in. And you'd be like, okay, you're coming? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> Why would I do that? Right.
0: This has happened recently when I was like, Don't, is it just everything you know to just jump off this railing into that water? And you're well, like, no.
1: <laughs> but what I think is interesting is that <laughs> you like listened, you listen to this thing, <laughs> you listen to your desire, which I think was an intuitive, like this is it's not only enjoyable to you, but it's having an enough- effect. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like what comes first, the chicken or the egg. It it then makes your life better, so then you want to keep doing it.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Runs deep. Very true. It creates like a loop. A a loop of good.
1: And I I did want to bring this one up because I think often we can hear things that we need to, we feel like we need to add to our life. But it ends up feeling like one more thing on the list of things that we need to do, um, which isn't a very freeing feeling. It's more of a burden. And I think for this to be most effective, it needs to be something that you enjoy and something that naturally flows into your, like is part of the flow of your life.
0: I've heard you riff and rant on this about pleasure at the heart of the spiritual path, that well, like anxiety. If somebody's, well, here are four things you you should do to get rid of your anxiety. You may have just given somebody four new ways to be anxious.
1: Well, you you know this, but I've <laughs> I have a long history of list making, <laughs> and I really don't anymore. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, that. I have noticed that. I don't know how many years it's been now, but I always had a list and all the things that I wanted to get to in my day and I would never get to all of them and so I would always finish the day feeling kind of bad like I didn't get to that I didn't I didn't do that I didn't do that just at the end of the day kind of feeling like I failed in some way because I set the bar pretty high and
0: as if the point of a day right was to check off like to accomplish things as if that's what we're here for, yeah, go on
1: right. and now I believe that the things that are most important to you will rise to the surface, and I think I think it's important to have intentions. like this is what's most important to me. this is what I want to add into my life. this is like this is the next thing that's um, kind of raising its hand and getting mm-hmm. my attention.
0: I love that image
1: um. It's, I've also learned that it's, it's really the only way that works because the way of like pushing and then putting yourself down for not getting to it, it ultimately doesn't work over time. But if you can add something into your life that's enjoyable, then you're going to do it again, and then you're going to do it again, and then you're going to do it again, and before you know it, you have a practice. And I think that's why I like talking about your, your cold water routine and for me, it's become like an afternoon meditation. I love my afternoon meditation because it's kind of like the time of the day where I, I need to reboot and I need, I just need to rest a bit. And I meditate laying down on the bed or laying down on the floor, which I know for a lot of people wouldn't pass as meditation. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'll fall asleep for a couple of minutes but I come I wake back up and I keep meditating and I but the point is I love it I love doing it um, I've now gotten to the point where like if I miss it I miss it like I want if I miss it at, at one I want to like oh I'm gonna try to fit it in at four um, and to me that's the key of making something a practice and the importance of a practice is that the more you do it, over time your brain starts to change and when your brain starts to change which is neuroplasticity then before you know it you have you have a new mind i mean not Mm -hmm. a completely new mind but our minds Mm -hmm. are always Mm -hmm. our our brains are always in the process of changing things are getting neural connections are getting pruned back um and new ones are forming all the time depending on what we're engaging in, our environment, our thought life, um, our brains adapt to what we need them to do. And so um, if we add those little things in, then our brains adapt to that new way of being. And that really excites me. So there's this whole new study of neuroplasticity, and science is like running with it because it has all sorts of really amazing implications for people who have strokes or brain injury or um, that whole world, but also just this idea that there's so much more potential than we ever realized.
0: Right. The person who's like, I don't know, I could never do that. Essentially, trillions of neural connections are like, oh, yeah, we could do that. We could we could get rid of that and bring in that. We could get rid of that connection and we could make that connection. Yeah. Right. And your it, body itself is like, no, we could make that change.
1: And it's not an instantaneous we're set up for change. That. Yeah. But it's but it's change through practice. Yeah. And um I just see it as like just little little tweaks, little tweaks over time make make a big difference. It reminds me of, of one of those things that you say, like, we're not trying to get from a <laughs> to, you know, we're not trying to get from A to X. We're trying to go from A to B. Ah. And we're trying to go from B to C. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, Man, oh man, that's so good. Okay.
1: Yeah, so that's the, that's the first big idea is you have more control than you realize. And the way I see it is like a map. And the first stop is, uh, I picture it like a circle. Because you learn what it feels like to be in each of these states and then you add in practices that get you more into the par- into the parasympathetic state more, more time during during your day or at critical times when you notice that you're feeling really um, in danger mode. And so you add these practices into your life, and the circle goes round and round. And you keep doing these practices, and you keep having more control over being in this state. And over time, then that the neuroplasticity um, changes happen. So I, I picture that as kind of the first stop in the anxiety map. Like, let's, let's at least get that down first. And then when we're doing all that, if there's still anxiety, then there's a whole new set of questions to ask. And I see the second part of the map as like a windy trail. And I call this one, anxiety wants to take you on a journey.
0: Oh, so it's like first the first thing with anxiety, according to your map, the first thing is let's get your body calmed down.
1: Right. Let's, let's start let's, there. Let's,
0: let's let's get that let's buzzing. F-
1: the physiological. Let's let's bring right. it all back down. That
0: buzzing, rushed.
1: Because we know cramped, how this works.
0: Trapped, uh, jittery, whatever. Let, let's get the body whew, calm. But then there still may be something there. So then it becomes, what is this?
1: What is this? Where how, does it want to how take do me? How do I see it? How do I play with it? How do I let it guide me? What's what, the
0: truth it's trying to tell me?
1: Yeah, what questions am I going to ask now? Okay,
0: wait, wait, wait. This, uh, and you've, uh, and you're going to, you have a lot to say about this.
1: I do. Wait, I, wait. I'd, I'd love to talk about how anxiety can be your friend.
0: Oh, wait, hold on. That means there could be a part two. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's true. Yes. Okay. So this was just part one. And now, in the next episode, we'll sort of on the map move from physiology, body, to the almost like another layer down, or
1: yeah, the, a, a deeper level of okay, what is going on here? What is my anxiety trying to tell me?
0: <sighs> what to do with our anxiety. What is it? Wait, what to do with my anxiety? What to do with our anxiety?
1: What do I do with my anxiety?
0: What do I do with my anxiety? Ladies and gentlemen, this has been part one. Um, But as you can clearly see, we're just getting started. I'm so glad that you came on the broadcast. I'm so glad that you (laughs) sat down at your own (laughs) table. (laughs) Brought to you Um, from the kitchen table. I just think that all this is going to help so many people. I, I think you're going to set so many people free. As you know, oh, I'm, I've been cheering you on for a while now. Um, but okay, so end of part one.
1: Let's meet here next week. Next oh. time,
0: part two. Grace and peace, everyone.